the last time I went there, I was really focused on making pictures that could portray, you know, women in the polar landscape and how it's it's not a man's world mm-hmm. by any means. It, the Arctic is a place where families have lived for over 10,000 years. And yeah, we need to be seeing the full picture. That was photographer Acacia Johnson. Most of Acacia's work has been focused on human relationships to the environment. She spent most of her 20s traveling around Scandinavia and the polar regions, working on ships. Today, she has over 50 expeditions to the Arctic and Antarctica. In part one of our conversation, she talks about subverting the stereotypes of what it means to be an explorer. And that means reframing the image of a man conquering landscapes to an image of a symbiotic relationship between people and the landscapes they live on. So here's the first part of my conversation with Acacia Johnson. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. You know, you've traveled to lots of Arctic places, lots of cold places. Do you ever wish you were from somewhere else, maybe somewhere warmer? Oh, definitely not. I think Alaska is the best place in the world to be from. Um, I love it, and I love cold places. There's some kind of magic in the far north that I really haven't sensed anywhere else. In what way? You know... Maybe my my artistic practice is is uh, trying to pin that down. I'm not sure. Um, I think there's something about the changes of seasons. There's something about the qualities of light. Um, living in a place, you know, at an ex- extreme or kind of extreme latitude, where where change is really obvious in the landscape and very significant, I think, gives you kind of a different perspective. Um, That change is really one of the only constant aspects of life. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed, too, is the resiliency of the people and, and also of the atmosphere and the nature. And then the people kind of start mirroring that. Yeah, the the links between, between people and landscape, what does this landscape do to people? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested in that. And I definitely feel like I can really easily feel at home in other northern places all around the world with the people who live there. Um, and I think that there is something in that connection to landscape that creates that feeling. And how did you get into photography? Well, I've done a lot of creative things in my life. Um, but I think that I chose photography because it demands a, an in-person interaction with the real world. Like, at least the way that I work, I really can't create my work in a vacuum. I have to go out and be places and meet people and do things. And um, that kind of interaction feels meaningful to me. What did you take photos of when you were younger? Oh man, <laughs> I I will also say on the the subject of um, beginning as a photographer, 
I was very influenced by my grandfather and my father. Uh, my grandfather was a very much multidisciplinary artist uh, in Anchorage who did all kinds of stuff, but really encouraged artistic leanings that were often out of the box um, mm -hmm. and really different stuff. And then we always had cameras in my house. My dad was is a very passionate sort of like semi-professional, I guess, photographer. And yeah, when I started, you know, I was a teenager. I think I took lots of pictures of my friends, um, often outside. I really like natural light, but I think I kind of felt like I was getting my footing <laughs> in terms of finding a, a voice, if that exists, um, when I focused more on landscape. You'd mentioned that your grandfather pursued out-of-the-box stuff. What did you mean by that? In as much as there is a difference between art and craft, he was an artist in every sense of the word. He made, you know, huge sculptures that, you know, out of trees and various found material. And he made um, kind of, not exactly paintings, but big pieces of art that were made out of like metal and paint and sand. And um, he made like experimental films. He made photo books. He made all kinds of things. So he was an artist, like you said. He was just like a straight up artist that also did photography. Yeah, exactly. And so my training um, as a photographer ended up being in fine art photography, like photography as an art form, mm -hmm. um, which kind of gelled really well with what I had, yeah, found it to be in my childhood. And I have this written down here, and I maybe you could help me clarify it, but I'm not sure if I read this correctly, but when you were younger, you liked to follow grizzly bears? Oh, um, that's, yeah. My parents, in the years before I was born, were brown bear guides out on the Alaska Peninsula. They helped to build and ran one of the first brown bear viewing lodges in like the early days of that kind of ecotourism. And so because of that, bears have always been really um, important to them and to our family. And we've spent a lot of time out viewing them and, and out in the wilderness growing up. And so what's your relationship like with grizzly bears? Because they're a pretty scary animal. <laughs> well, it's all a, a matter of perspective. Okay. I think, you know, brown bears, and I'll use the word brown bears, which is a a term to mean grizzly bears, essentially, that have access to the coast. Mm -hmm. It's the same species, but that that's that term. Um, the bears on the Alaska Peninsula, because it's such a wild and largely untouched region, the populations of bears there have so much to eat, and they've been neutrally habituated over many years by people like bear guides, people who manage bear viewing programs in national parks, um, who basically found that if if human presence in an area with bears is really carefully managed over time, bears can learn to view humans as a neutral presence, mm -hmm. and therefore bear viewing in quite close proximity with them um, can become safe, uh, safe enough if it's guided by people who know really how to how to understand bear behavior. So, like you know, if I encounter a brown bear 
near Anchorage, I'm going to be pretty freaked out because that bear might have, might associate humans with harm or food or garbage. Mm -hmm. But in a place where I'm pretty sure that the only people who have ever been there, um, you know, in the last 30 or 40 or more years have been careful, you know, to keep their food away from them, have not harassed the bears, have kept a distance, you know, that kind of thing. It's really different. Um, and so I think it's really helpful to think of bears and populations of bears as individuals um, that we have to consider differently, almost like we would people, you know? Absolutely. Did you did you always have that outlook on bears or brown bears, I should say, or did it kind of develop over time? Yeah, I think that I was, my brother and I were very much raised with that mindset. I mean, there are many places on the peninsula, the Alaska Peninsula that are visited by tens of thousands of people every year, like Brooks Falls, for example, where it, it seems kind of natural and obvious that, yeah, of course you can walk around with these bears um, at a safe distance. It's fine. But I think, you know, anybody growing up in Anchorage knows that seeing a bear on a hiking trail want to back off. Mm -hmm. Have you always been interested in photographing people and wildlife and their relationship to the environment? You know, my my first kind of love and calling, I guess, in photography was and is more landscape. Uh, there's something about land, the presence of, of landscape that I think speaks to me the most deeply. Um, I actually had never really had, I would say, like an interest, like a goal in pursuing wildlife photography. It was kind of something that I fell into for other reasons, being like making stories about causes I believed in and stuff, um, or because it was fun. <laughs> but photographing people has been a challenge that I've like actively pursued. I was very shy when I was younger. And even still now, I think uh, approaching somebody and saying, can I take your picture um, is something that I feel really nervous about. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a big deal to me that if I take someone's picture that it's, that's done in the right way and that it's like, it's the right picture of them, if you know what I mean. For sure. And so, especially when I, I, um, when I was 24, I got this grant, uh, a Fulbright grant to go and live in an Inuit village in the Canadian Arctic um, for a winter. And I thought I was gonna do a landscape project. And that was a turning point for me when I realized like, okay, if I'm going to make photographs about the importance of a landscape, it has to include the people who live there and who are connected to that place. So the people that live on these landscapes give the landscape its importance. Or I don't, I wouldn't say that it gives the landscape its importance, but it makes us, it helps us to understand as viewers, I think how, how landscape is important to people. Mm. I mean, we're all human all over the world and we all have places that are important to us. Um, but if we look at a landscape that is, is very foreign to us and, and might not, you know, appeal, like uh, some people describe certain parts of the Arctic as, you know, barren or desolate, which I would um, disagree with. But, you know, if you can come to an understanding that these landscapes are of incredible significance to people who are not so different from ourselves, then that like image in our minds kind of changes, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And that grant that you mentioned, is that how you got into photographing polar regions? Both yes and no. That was like my real turning point, I suppose. Um, but I had begun before that. Uh, I had a big moment when I was in photography school. I read um, this book, Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez, who's one of my biggest uh, inspirations. And it really filled me with this dreaming to go to the Arctic. And so the first Arctic project that I did was in, um, in Alaska, in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And that was the year that I was applying to go to Canada. Um, the way the Fulbright program works, you choose a country that is not your own. And so I applied to Canada and I got it. And, um, and that's pretty much, yeah, when it really started for me. Do you think that growing up in Alaska affected your interest in and your connection to these Arctic places? Oh, absolutely. I 100% feel most alive in cold environments. I love winter. It's so magical to me. And, um, and oh, I'll also say that not only did I grow up in Anchorage, but when I was 17, I was an exchange student in Norway for a year. And I was placed to live above the Arctic Circle there. Um, and I had like the time of my life <laughs> and experiencing really the polar night, three months without sunrise was for me just beyond magical. Um, and so ever since that, I've been kind of seeking opportunities to, to do that again. So was it magical like from the beginning or did you have to kind of like romanticize it for yourself? Well, <laughs> romanticizing, that's a whole topic in itself. Um, and, I, and I don't mean that negatively. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I need to do that. I think I kind of do it automatically. Um, I am very like impressed by kind of dreamy qualities of light that you get in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. um, and so like living in a place where that kind of thing happens every day, to me, like just has a really big effect on me and I love it. Um, I was also very uh, fortunate that year to have a really good group of people who I was with and we did a lot of things outside. I think that enjoying the winter in any northern place is really dependent on actually going outside and doing things. If you're just sitting inside, then it's pretty miserable. So with climate change, Arctic places have seen an increase in curious storytellers going to these Arctic places to witness the effects of environmental change and to tell the stories of the indigenous peoples in their communities. So you have kind of these, for lack of a better term, kind of these outsiders going in and telling other people's stories. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a thing that I think a lot about, especially now is, is whose, whose stories are any of us really um, authorized to tell, I guess. And when I started going to, or taking photographs in, um, in this community in the Canadian Arctic, I, I guess was driven by like a sense to 
to capture what I saw there. But now, you know, and I, I think and challenge stereotypes about what life in the Arctic is like and who lives there. Mm-hmm. But I think that right now we're seeing a real rise in the awareness of how important it is for for storytellers to tell the stories of the places that they come from. Um, and one thing I've been really excited about at the Anchorage Museum is the degree to which I see that really happening. And so I think that, you know, storytellers from elsewhere going to places that they're not from to tell stories, I think sometimes there are reasons and ways in which that is really successful and other approaches that are more problematic. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of a fine balance. But I think that, you know, the, the right intention at the heart of what people are doing is key. Yeah, I like that. I think that's good. I think that in any situation, if it is photography or if it's a podcast, I think that the more that you can have people from those geographical regions telling their own stories and their own voices, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've kind of only really gotten into actual photojournalism within the past two years or so. And it's so interesting to reflect on like the history of, of photojournalism in the Western world being largely white men being sent all over the place to tell these stories. And there has been such a dramatic change in in who's telling the stories now, which gives me a lot of hope for the future. And I think that if you're working from a place of like honor and respect for the the stories and the lives that are kind of opened to you, then um, there's a certain integrity that can come out of that work that can be successful. So talking about subverting stereotypes and subverting preconceived ideas about kind of gender roles, about explorers, how do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, man. <laughs> um, in addition to my work as a photographer, I've also been a polar expedition guide on ships in the Arctic and Antarctica, where I have been part of amazing teams of people um, where, you know, a lot of them are also women. And it is very interesting to see how, like, how the polar regions are kind of packaged and sold to people, I guess, and what their expectations are coming there as tourists. And it is very frequent, you know, to be met with surprise at being a woman expedition guide. Um, that's kind of fun. <laughs> and, but also, those experiences have really led me to notice to what degree we associate in the Western world polar exploration with just this handful of like the first heroic age male explorers, really, even though there are tons of cool women explorers Mm -hmm. throughout history. And so um, those experiences, you know, even being on expeditions where the only history presentations or presentations about exploration are about those original people. You just think, huh, it would be great to make some photos of women. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I would say that making pictures that do try to subvert those stereotypes is a big interest of mine. I think 
that those stereotypes are actually really long outdated really quite a while ago. I just haven't seen a big push for imagery that depicts that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm definitely have a, like a long-term project about women who work in Antarctica. And the last time I went there, I was really focused on making pictures that could portray, you know, women in the polar landscape and how it's, it's not a man's world mm -hmm. by any means. It, the Arctic is a place where families have lived for over 10,000 years. And yeah, we need to be seeing the full picture. You know, when I think of a stereotypical explorer and a photo of inevitably, you know, that man in that situation, I think of the photo or the picture depicting like this, you know, this courageous looking skyward. And at, at a certain point, it's it's a little silly. The photo, you know, it's, it's a little silly. So how do you maybe subvert that idea, that depiction of the explorer and retool it for a woman? Well, you can do two things. You can play with those existing stereotypes, which is fun, mm -hmm. um, and mimic that. I'm kind of interested in like the boundary between, um, between like how, where this romantic types of like romantic polar imagery can be like useful <laughs> in the way that they romanticize things. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for example, the last time that I photographed, uh, in the Canadian Arctic, I had a theme of seeking out things that were hot pink. Mm. There was hot pink stuff everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, looking for things that are kind of like stereo. I mean, but that's a stereotype too, right? Um, stereotypically feminine colors for whatever reason that that's a stereotype. You can subvert things with color. You can subvert things with like how, how you photograph people in a landscape so that it, you know, it doesn't give the impression of, of somebody conquering something. Mm -hmm. The idea of conquering a landscape, I think, is, is so problematic. And so seeking out moments in which people can appear to be in a, a kind of relationship with that landscape or reverence or something that, you know, is different than that. It's more symbiotic than kind of authoritarian. Yeah, exactly. Join me on the next episode of Chattermarks for part two of my conversation with Acacia Johnson. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Music was produced by Keezy Baby. <laughs>